Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. With your host, Todd Martin. Welcome back to the Go Time Podcast. Zork. Um, so today's guest is Nathan Camacho. So I just know you from jujitsu and Rodrigo gives everybody different names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's Nate, Nick, what, you know, yeah. Camacho. Yeah. Um, we'll leave some of the other names out. <laughs> so what, what do you most commonly go by outside of jujitsu? So always introduce myself as Nathan yeah. and it becomes Nate very quickly. So yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Um, so Nate, um, so, so you are a golf pro and golf instructor, golf yeah. instructor for close to 25 years now, really 25 yeah. years. Yeah. I love that. And so tell me how, what, when, when did you start in? So you played as a youth didn't really start golf till I was around 16. Um, I'd been around the game, obviously, before that, through my dad and all that. But we went to a high school that had a, uh, a high school golf team. I was a baseball player, really. I loved baseball. And then we went there, and, um, man, I just fell in love with golf. And from that day on, I was holding the golf club every day, all day. Your dad? At night. <laughs> and and your, so your dad played golf, too? Yeah, growing up, my dad, I mean, we... My dad was in the military, so we would be by military golf courses, and my dad would definitely play. I think he got down to like a one handicap at one point, and oh. I would tag along and I would hit balls and do all that as a as a younger player. But it was really when I was sixteen was when I said, "I'm going to be a golfer, really," um, and quit playing baseball and quit playing everything else. Actually, really? and just uh, yeah, and then within about a year, I was about a one handicap. So from the time I was sixteen to seventeen, I. Got pretty good. Wow. In one year? Yeah. I mean, when I tell you I had a golf club in my hand, I mean, it was constant. You could find me outside in the backyard swinging a golf club one o'clock in the morning. You still find me doing that. And it's more in my living room now. But, but uh, yeah, no, I still do things like that. Really? Still get up early. Still, yeah. Something about hitting a golf ball has always, when you hit it right, it just feels so good. It is. There is something about uh, like searching for that perfect thing, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say whether it's passing a guard, like something yeah. you pass a guard and it's just so good. It's or hitting a golf ball or making the putt or any, the way the ball pops in a glove, you know, like yeah. you want to try and repeat that over and over again. And it, it's, uh, it takes some time sometimes. Yeah. I think that's why it's so, I think that's why so many guys in jujitsu, find such a passion in it yeah is because it's just it's there's such a uh never ending learning to it you know even the, no matter i mean you've been doing it for several years but it's just there's so much more and when you got somebody who who's an instructor like rodrigo and you got somebody like rod who's has 30 years advanced on you you know it's just crazy trying to chase it but you see that he, even he's still learning new parts but he He's so good at teaching it. Yeah, it's 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 been so. I've been with Rodrigo since 2013, so coming up on close to 10 years now. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a fantastic journey through that school. So yeah. I've enjoyed 
every year of it. Have you drawn a lot of parallels with that in, in golf? Uh, you know, like if you look at the way, me personally, the way he runs the class, he really does kind of treat people for what they need. If he does, doesn't he? Yeah, if they're if they're coming up competing and they need, you know, like a more physical role, he can give that to them. If they need more of like a hey, you need to do this more, he can give that to them. He can he encourages people all the time, but he can also be like more on them to work harder or whatever. I think he does a really good job, really good job of doing that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and after high school. Um, did you, um, where, how, where'd you go with the golf deal? So I had, uh, I had no plans on doing anything with college. Uh, if any of my students hear this, they'll, my juniors will, but I really didn't. College wasn't really in the plans. I had one coach call me after, after high school. I was planning just playing the summer of golf and then probably joining the military. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And then uh, that's kind of what everybody in my family before me had done. And uh, one coach called me. I went and played in front of him two weeks before school started. He said, I can give you this much. And two weeks later, I was in school. Really? And it, was, it wasn't a lot of fanfare. It wasn't nobody was like knocking down my door. Um, it was a small school. And uh, but my mentality was as long as I'm playing, as long as I'm competitive, as long as I can keep getting better. I can keep getting better. And that was really the the moral of my story. And I just kept practicing. What branch was your, what, what branch military was your dad in? Air Force. Oh, really? Yeah. So some pretty decent golf courses. Yeah. It's kind of a joke in the military, right? But uh, the Air Force definitely tends to have really good facilities. Um, yeah. And so we, yeah, we, we were privileged to be on some decent courses. And um, definitely, you know, I, I lived in England, Germany saw most of Europe been all over the place and and uh oh, that's kind of cool yeah it was it was fun like one of the things I love is history love reading about it love seeing it but I think one of the reasons I like it so much because I've seen so many of those places mm-hmm. and uh it gives you a different perspective on the world doesn't it oh absolutely getting travel getting travel absolutely and I, that was a eye-opener for me like just a kid growing up in a little small town of Marion down the road mm-hmm. I think they had a I think we had, our town was like 800 people, 850. And, um, and I remember my first trip to, uh, to Europe and I was um, starched jeans and cowboy hat (laughs) and I landed in Heathrow airport. Oh my God. (laughs) I remember sending message back to my dad going, you're not going to believe this, but there's so many men here wearing skirts and dresses and they're all staring at me. Like I'm the odd. <laughs> it's just wrong. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so it was wild. My first trip going outside of the country, it was just be out. Well, I mean, we went to Mexico, <laughs> but that's not. No, I love it when I see like, um, you know, some of the guys from the school who maybe never left san antonio or something like that they go to abu dhabi or they go oh isn't that crazy yeah they're traveling to portugal and all this stuff japan like lily went to japan a couple times to compete over there once or twice but uh you know just get to go experience a different part of the world just something you love mind. yeah absolutely yeah that's really cool that's really got it that's got to be fun too getting to kind of see the young kids when you're training with the young you're teaching the young kids you know yeah. they're just sheltered on the idea of the world the world is just something that they see on now on their phone on the yeah 
Yeah, well, I think about it. Like they're growing up, they're adolescents or teenagers, and they, they basically know home, mm. school, and maybe the gym. The world's or so small. In, yeah, in my case, home, school, and the golf course. Yeah. And then to see them traveling places and competing, winning or, or not winning, whatever. Yeah. Um, and still having that experience of, you know, seeing the world and putting themselves there out, out on the the battlefield or the line or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, you know, coming home better for it. Oh, it makes them so much better. I, that's one thing I was, um, I just did an interview with uh, a young lady named Christiana um, earlier this last week. And she, uh, she, she used to groom horses for me here. And okay. she was uh, like, it's kind of the same thing. Her parents were missionaries. And so all she knew was just the little small village that they were missionaries in and then homeschooled. And so her view of the world was like just crazy different, right? It's very different. Yes. And, and so she was just restricted on a lot of exposure and, uh, and had no idea that she was even athletic at all. Like she had never, she never even played. She'd never been sport. exposed to it. Never. Oh, wow. right. And she got um, invited to come over and do a, a obstacle course race, like a, you know, Spartan race. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and she crushed it. Uh, yeah. And she's oh. just like, Oh, that was, she was trotting around on it. And then she realized she could run. <laughs> and then she goes and crushes one. Right. Yeah. And now she's like one, she's, she's hits the podium every time at one of these big, she went to California. She came here to San Antonio, won San Antonio last weekend. And she, and she's running all over the world now and um, all over the States at least, and just killing it. Right. Yeah. And doing 50 mile and hundred mile races. And, um, and she just, she just had no idea. She just like all of a sudden, like I had, you know, and she's got a fresh body. <laughs> she, hasn't, she hasn't abused it at all. It's just ready to go. Yeah, that's that's really cool. That's really. Cool. I wonder. I often think sometimes like there's got to be somebody that's every bit as talented as Tiger Woods or or whoever, but whoever's top in whatever field, they've never been exposed to it. Yeah. So they never get to know that what yeah, their potential yeah. was or what their what was laying within with in their body. You know, their mind. That's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, how many are just you never you never find, right? Yeah. Um, just from lack of exposure. Just from lack of exposure, right? I think that one of the greatest things that my dad did for me whenever I was young was he um, he let me do everything, yeah. right? He he let me try all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. and and um, and find out what I even just what I didn't want to do, right? Even whenever I was started my first you know job experiences, you know I I was like I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I've I've done I've had every job under the sun. I mean like every job under the sun, right? I was even a weatherman in the Air Force. Or oh, really? Me. Oh, so you were in the Air Force as yeah. well then? So you know about the yeah. cushy? Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I I walked out of high school and and worked at uh, the dis Walmart distribution center for I don't know six four six months until I got you know I was signed up and then I went off in the Air Force and was a weatherman in the air force. I got, I was going to see the world and I got stationed in uh, tech basic training in San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. And then I went and did uh, tech school in Rantoul, Illinois. And then I got stationed in Lubbock, Texas. And then I came back home. Big world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then of all things I found, so it was kind of a crazy thing. I took my first riding lesson when I was 21. Oh, okay. So, so you relate to that. No, I, I, we'd had some horses in the background, but, we didn't really, but never I didn't, really. I had no idea what I could do with them. I just kind of got bored with them in the backyard. I had no idea that there was something I could do, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and so it was kind of like that. I found, I went through everything under the sun until all of a sudden I went and did something. And it was like what you said about, you know, then all of a sudden you had a club in your hand all the time. And all the time. At that point, I rode a, horse, rode a horse and I I didn't own a horse. I couldn't afford one, right? But I washed tails and manes on a guy's horses and I did everything outside of work to be on a horse. Yeah. And I did that for like eight years. You know, honestly, if it wasn't for the... Golf can be very cost prohibitive. Yeah. And if it wasn't for my dad's military experience where we got a membership to the, the military base for something ridiculously cheap, um, who knows? Like, maybe I never take that. But I know once I, once I said, okay, golf's my thing, I was out at the golf course, weekends, mornings. Mom would drop me off, pick me up at, at sunrise, pick me up at after dark. I mean, all I thought about was golf. Much like... You've had Rodrigo on here. Like, I'm sure Rodrigo yeah. was always thinking about yeah. jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu. That was his thing. Yeah. It's like, it, it was funny because what he said was like, you know, that's my ticket. It was my ticket. It was my way out. But it was also just like all of a sudden that's all he was going to do. Yeah. Um. So um, what was your first, when was your first experience like understanding the mental part of, the, of golf? Because that's such a huge <laughs> part of golf, right? Yesterday. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, well, I think it's a huge part of anything, whether it's yeah. jujitsu, you can roll great in the, in the, in the gym, then you step on the mats and something changes. Oh, man. And sometimes it's in a good way. Sometimes it's, is that not an eye opener for most of the guys you watch? And it's so many of them, all the, the white belts when they come in, like the, the yeah. whites and the blues, they're coming in and it's just, you see them just come out of there and, and they're going in and, you, and you're watching them go. I, the ones that are funny to me is when you see them watching them go in and, and it's like they've won it already and they're just so psyched and whatever else. And then all of a sudden it's the deer in the headlines you look whenever somebody just like jerked your collar and snapped your neck. And then you were like, oh, my God, this crap got real, real, yeah. real quick. <laughs> real quick. Things, things happen faster. Yeah. Yeah. Things just maybe it's, uh, you know. Maybe it's just internally they have them faster, but grips seem tighter. Oh, Movement man. seem quicker. Everything. And then you just see the adrenaline dump on them, and then it's yeah. just, uh, you watch and just take the life out of them. Yeah. So, you know, when it goes, if, if we bring it back to golf, it, um, I'll tell you when I had my first realization about the mental game. I wasn't smart enough to actually, like, do anything about it afterwards, but I realized, right. oh, something was different today. I had played poorly in a tournament, the, the previous tournament. And I remember being a bit beat up about it. And I was on the driving range and I'm like, well, I'm at this other tournament. Who knows what's going to happen? And because prior to that, I would always put a lot of expectation. Like, I want to be the best. I want to win this tournament. I want to like not only win it, but I want to win it by 12 shots. Yeah. And I was putting like self-pressure or my own pressure. Right. To have a certain performance. And um, the first time I was probably 17. And I just remember sitting on the driving range, just being like, you know, I'm just going to swing smoothly, smoothly today and just, you know, try and hit the greens, try and make the putt. And if it doesn't make the putt, I'm going to make a par and just go to the next, next hole. And I did that all day and I shot six under. It was the lowest score I'd ever shot in, I'd ever shot in a tournament. And it was so low stress. There wasn't a lot of fanfare about it. It was just, I hit the, hit the fairway, hit the green. And if I two putted, I was happy. If I made the putt. Hey, I was happy too. Well, and um, 
It's a crazy feeling, isn't it? It really was, but I didn't learn the lesson because the next tournament I went back to trying to think about never. Well, if I if I do that, I not do that. trying, wait and watch me try, right? <laughs> and then it was back to a higher score, and it took me it took me quite a few years to to understand that. Um, my that was almost like a kiss of death for me. If I was like, watch this, yeah. you know, I'm going to screw it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, over the years, it's the ball's in contact for something like four milliseconds, which is a ridiculously small amount of time. And people want to control that ball in golf, right? I mean, that's the point of the game is to yeah. control the ball and shoot the lowest score. But what I find is most people try and control the wrong things. They try to control the outcome as opposed to controlling what they can control, which they can control their attitude. They can control their grip. They can control their alignment. You know, they can control how much they practice prior to the tournament, which is a big one. Discipline. And uh, you start getting those things under control. And sure enough, the ball starts to, doesn't always listen. doesn't always go where you want it to go, but you know, then you have to have the discipline to like forget about it and go control the things that you can control, which is your attitude, your grip, your environment, your posture, your. You know, when I did, when I did the one with um, Bill Rogers, mm-hmm. um, that was really an eye opener for me because what we do in, in my competition with the horses, I got like a five minute um kind of pattern that i run right and it's dictated by the you know they tell us what we're going to run and we've got to perform it to the highest level and whatever but you have five minutes that you're in the pen and the five minutes are you're by yourself right so you got to hold your crap together for five minutes mm. which seems like an eternity sometimes right? yeah and um and and you have no backup you have nobody else to rely on you have and you're trying to you know have the horse do it with you together and whatever else um so reset was never something that I ever had to practice. I had a month between that competition and the next, next. right? It wouldn't even like, even in jujitsu tournament, I would, you know, you have a role and then, you know, a few minutes later you got another role. So you got to like get your head back in and whatever, right? Well, I didn't have to do that. You know, for the big competitions, you run, you know, you practice and you practice, you practice, you practice, practice, you know, you've been getting out of the pen, you do all these stuff. And then it's the culminates to the one run. And then I've got, you know, a week at the least and month or a couple of months before I'm going to go back in again. So my reset would be, I would go home, you could chill out, you could do whatever and refine yourself, work back at stuff. And that was your reset. And he was, and in his explanation was the reset was between every stroke. Every stroke. Blew my mind. Yeah. Every stroke. There's, there's no carrying forward the last stroke, good or bad. Uh-huh. Reset. And so if it's a good shot, enjoy it. Forget about it. If it's a bad shot, Accept it, forget about it. And then you got to reset and do the same thing over mm-hmm. again. So, you know, like when you come to the uh, the 6 a.m. that I yeah get the privilege of running or teaching, um, like we do a lot of the same things over and over. It's, that's a lot from my goal yeah. experience. Well, I'll tell you, like I haven't gone to the 6 a.m. in several months. Thanks. Um, and then- <laughs> But I went the other day Mm -hmm. and the white belts are rolling a whole lot better. Did you notice? Yeah, I did. There's a, there's a couple of guys in there that, um, that I, I noticed they were like, they, 
I think they were floundering on decent fu- on the on getting the fundamentals, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, and they just they weren't getting drilled. Mm-hmm. And um, and man, I could tell the difference in a couple of guys. Like I, the, that, I, I didn't get to roll with a bunch of them, but I did get to roll with a couple of them. And and uh, and they actually had an idea where they were going. And right, I could see the difference. I could see the difference. It was definitely cool. That's awesome. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, there was a, there was one in particular that um, that I've rolled with him quite a bit uh, before, and I I try to help him and stuff. But you know, you know, it's just a disconnect if you're not practicing it you're not drilling it right Right. and and i almost felt like he was going to be a little discouraged like he was starting to get a little discouraged because he just wasn't getting anywhere right right right. and you know he just was you know he would have he just didn't know how to get to the next spot right right and and he felt like he you know it was funny he's like okay so i know you could have killed me in any one of that spot and i'm like well i mean that wasn't the point but like you know where you're, you're getting to where an idea where you're going with the right. things now and it's like there's a market improvement on what you're doing well, that's awesome i'm yeah. glad, you, I'm glad you, you saw that sometimes when you're there all the time you don't yeah you don't always see it but uh the fact that you had been gone a little bit and then came back that and you saw it that was that's yeah. nice to hear yeah good that was good yeah and that's where i've noticed like I, I'm curious about your, um, you know, so I've had several guys on the, on the podcast that, um, and I've been lucky to get to know some people that have like done some really cool stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think one of the things that is the most underrated unsung hero part of any competition, right. Cause it's even with the reigning horses, we've got the guys that you know, some of the guys that are like top of the game, right. And they're winning everything and they're, you know, but in order to be at that level, there's a level of selfishness that comes along with it that you have to, you can't share your time with other people because you, you're not going to stay there on the top. If you're spending your time pouring into other people, there's only one guy I really know of in our industry that can actually stay at the top and give it back. And I've noticed that with Rodrigo has a little bit of that ability too earlier on when he was still competing a lot, um, that he would, but it was like, it sucked everything. Like he was just completely enthralled with it. And the coaching aspect of things is so, so vital. Like it's such a huge part of any sport and it's a bit of the unsung part of it. Right. I mean, you're not going to do it for the accolades. Because you're just not going to get as many of them. Yeah, you don't. You don't. No. You you will get blamed if you take a like a good student or a good golfer, a good jujitsu person, and they perform poorly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't know about that. But, yeah. Uh, maybe he needs to go a different route, and somebody right, else needs right. to. You know. But that person plays well. Oh, he's yeah. He's always had the talent. He's all and and you know a lot of times they do have the talent, mm-hmm. right? And you just have to try and bring it out. Um, it's always. I mean, they do get the credit. They're the ones playing, and that's the way it. It's, That's the way it should be. I think one of the things about coaching is that for people to come in from coaching and or come in and use get to use another coach, right? And they go to change. That they have to understand whenever they're coming in that they're buying into a program, mm-hmm. right? I think it's one of the harder things. So with what what I do, I got a coach too, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and when people come in, if I got people that come in from their kids can sit a horse good, right? They've been on horses a lot and whatever else, but they haven't understood the fundamentals like it. And it's almost like I've got to take them and go, look, you're going to have to like, it's you're going to go downhill before we go back up. Mm-hmm. If I, if I had a pitcher that was pitching, uh, you know, an 85 mile an hour, 90 mile an hour fastball, um, in or like 80 
85, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's high enough. It's fast enough. You got talent. You're going to college. You're going to go to college, right? But you could be a big fish in a little pond in college, or you can take your first, go to the right school with the right coach, and your first year or two, you might just give it up. You're not going to be the head guy. You could. Mm-hmm. You could be, but you're not. You, I've got to change your throw. I've got to change it. If I don't change it, yeah, your mechanics have got to change and it's going to take you a bit. But if you do, you got a shot to go in the pros. If you don't, you'll do fine in college, but you got no shot. And I can use you up as a coach for my college deal or whatever else. And I give a crap whether you go to the pros or not, Mm -hmm. but I will excel in my program. Sure. But you're not. Right. And if I've got a coach that really desires to pour into you, right? That I'm going to take and I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to take and I'm going to redo your deal and redo your fundamentals because it may crush you a little bit for this. I'm like, we just need to go through this, Mm -hmm. but I can make you excel in it. And the true investment is not just that, you know, you've got to hit the pros and you've got to, you know, make the tour in order for us to have success. But if I, you understand how deep and how fundamental the, the fundamentals are, You'll take it into business. You'll do it into everything, your school, your life. I mean, every right. bit of it, right? You're pouring into that life of that kid. Well, I think one of the, the key words you, you used there was the word understand, right? Like yeah. to have a profound understanding of fundamentals is actually rare. Yeah. Everybody thinks fundamentals are easy, but the reality is that the, those two words are not like synonymous, right? They don't mm-hmm. mean the same thing. Fundamentals and easy do not mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you look at the guys on the PGA Tour, um, most of them, when their game starts going off, what do they revert back to? Address position, grip, ball placement, alignment, which is the 101 of golf. <clears throat> and the best players are always the best at the fundamentals. The guys in jiu-jitsu, like Rodrigo's jiu-jitsu, in my opinion, that I've rolled with everybody, but um, his fundamentals are so solid yeah that things that you think don't work when you're a white belt oh you learn it it only works on white belts but choke you yeah how do i choke you but oh wait you don't want to have good base so you can want to be falling over but you don't know how to choke somebody so um but you know how many times have you been in in the advanced class and you know Rodrigo says look this is the advanced class if you don't know this you need to go to fundamentals yeah you know and and the class i teach um, it's, it's listed as an all levels class, but we go, we go really slow. And I really do try to point out the, like some of the details of what makes the move actually work versus just going through the motions and not, not applying the proper, you know, directives that you need on the move. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's fundamentals to me are, you, you don't go very far without them. No. And, and the further you go, the better your understanding of fundamentals get. And you just like you start working on those instead of, you know, but th- those fundamentals allow you to do the more advanced things even better and better and better. Yeah. I've, I've gotten lucky to, um, you know, I get on the road and I go and show and stuff and I, I'll go to Katy or I'll go to Oklahoma city and then I get to drop in at a couple of different places and try a couple of different, um, jujitsu places out. And, and, and it's always fun. Cause it's, it's kind of like the same thing with the horses, you know, there's a camaraderie and there's not, you know, knowing in between it. And, and so there's like a commonality that you can go in there and, and, you know, 
and everybody's cool. And there's mm-hmm. there's a couple places that maybe not all look as cool, mm-hmm. but um, but everybody's you know pretty pretty cool wherever you go. And the thing that I get, the comment I get every single time, every place that I go, every single time, it's crazy. Is dude, your fundamentals are so solid. It's it's what I get every single time, you know. Um, and and even if I'm rolling with different belts at different places, none of them. Um, being like, I mean, it's not like I'm going to dominate everywhere or whatever else. Sure. But it's pretty hard to get something by me. You know, like I'm not, I'm going to be able to survive. Yeah. So I love traveling and I love taking a gi and I love trying to find yeah places to go. And, you know, coming from a slightly different background, I didn't do jujitsu first, but coming from that background, when, when I went to jujitsu, like I always wanted my belt, whatever it was, white belt, blue belt, purple belt whatever. I always wanted to go into places and think at the end of the day, when, when I left, they'd be like, Hey, that, that visiting purple belt, he was solid. Yeah. He's a solid, good purple belt. Yeah. Nobody gave him that promotion. He at least is, you know, he legit is a whatever. And what I've learned is like the better your fundamentals get, it just goes up the belt rank with you. Right. And it just, you know, so your, my fundamentals as a, as a brown belt are, are much, hopefully, better than they were at blue belt. Cause if they're not, then I'm going the wrong way. Yeah. So same thing with golf. So when you're coaching your kids in golf, um, cause that, so that's the primary it. So are most of your clients, the youth, you have a lot of juniors or do you have, I, I really teach everybody. Yeah. I teach, uh, retired CEOs of companies. I teach junior golfers. I teach actually for the longest time, I didn't teach junior golfers very much. Um, yeah. I, I, I did teach them, but, um, I didn't, uh, they weren't like, I wasn't trying to build my business on that. And I still don't. I, I just, I teach, but um, I started to realize if instead of always correcting someone's swing flaws or, you know, like, like you might get from a, a 60 year old CEO mm-hmm. who'd been playing for 30 years with an over the top slice. Yeah. Like if I wanted to build like future golfers. Yeah. You need a clean slate. Yeah. So that's when I started changing to like trying to, I wouldn't say change the emphasis of my teaching, but to bring in more juniors. And it really, it was just because, and I, and I didn't look for always the most talented or the most athletic. I just, what I wanted was kids that wanted to learn. Yeah. And that had a passion for learning. Mm, that's a hard one. It's right. super and hard. It's not, and it's not the parents that want the kid to learn or they were parents that want them to be the golfer. Yeah. And I've definitely lost kids in, in my program because the parents didn't see, yeah, didn't see where the program was going, but it, you know, it, it takes um, time to build. It does. And I wasn't going to change what I believed just so I could make the parent happy. Mm-mm. There is a, there is always a portion of that, that they're the customers and you gotta, you know, keep them happy. But if they can't see what I'm trying to build and what I'm trying to do for them long-term, yeah. it's not going to work. If, if little Susie's not winning the tournament at age 10. Yeah. But she's killing it at age 16. Like, it's just, it's so hard to see that far in the future, too, on some is. of them. I think um, the ones that are the, that are, that are the easiest to coach, if there is, but it, the easier ones to coach are the executive or the retired executive, mostly because they, I always say that I used to love, I, I love to have that kind of, of client mm-hmm. because no one um, is successful in business and has, you know, gone out and killed it 
and uh, come into the recreation and want to suck. Right. You know, right. And, and so it's easy to apply the same principles in business as it is in sports, right? It's the, the analogies are very fundamental. It's like, I, I had uh, a client one time that, you know, we got to, it was early on in my career and I asked him, it was like, you know, he, it, we'd talking about his business and stuff. And, and he said, you know, people ask me all the time, we want to come in and want, want time of mine to be able to ask me how it is that I, you know, accomplished or got to where I did in, in the, in the industry. And he said, you know, I, this is the same answer every single time. I, I just make sure that in the morning I start off with one and I end up with eight. You know, at the end of it, you know, but I always start at one and one is, you know, I get up, I, I check my emails or whatever it is, the fundamentals of his business. You've got to respond to people or you've got to do this. But it was always and sometimes he goes, you know, sometimes I get off track and I start at three. And he said, no, whenever it starts to go wrong, I go back and I go, okay, well, I got to start at one today. So Absolutely. Monday I get up, I start at one and, and, and I don't let go of the fundamentals, the, the primary of my business is the reason why I love, I've always really admired, um, can we talk about Rod all <laughs> He's going to get a big head. I know. Yeah, he already has one. <laughs> but um, one thing that I noticed about him, and you know what? You look at his business, not just his jujitsu, right? But his business is fundamentally super, super sound. Why? Because you see him going to a tournament. He's out of town. He's been, you know, traveling or whatever else. And he'll roll back in at four o'clock in the afternoon and he does not miss the kid's class. I mean, right, he, right. he goes right back to the he goes right back to what feeds his business. And it's those kids. And he doesn't go in there and half rear end it. He doesn't go and neglect it. He never does neglect that. You know, if anything, he might even neglect some of the guns, you know, some of the bigger guys that are doing stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. He does not neglect those kids. Right. And, and that's the fundamental of his business. It's the foundation of his business. And, and I noticed, I noticed that right off the bat about him that, you know, not only was he like really good, but like, he's not, he's going to be here for a long time. Right. Right. I didn't have to worry about, is he going to, is he, is the know, business going to be here next year? Yeah. Am I going to have to change places? Schools, yeah. The yeah. schools or whatever else. Cause he's not going to stick around. Like he's so solid and it speaks to his business too. Like it's, it flourishes even in, you know, the midst of the craziness of the pandemic and whatever else like that dude was solid. Yeah. Well, every CEO I've ever taught when, when we get talking about the business, it, first of all, they know their, their business in and out. Right. Regardless, they they all know whatever their business was. They know how it works. They they know the underpinnings of it, right? And then, if things start to go a little sour, they know exactly where to go to. And it's and it always has to do with going back to the fundamentals of doing the business right. Right. And you know, there are many people in golf that do not know the fundamentals. They they do not know the underpinnings of what it takes to play good golf. Therefore, when the it starts turning sour, they're like. You know, it's like Tin Cup where the, he's putting his wallet in his other pocket and things. Just hoping. Yeah. He's, he's just throwing stuff at a wall, right? Yeah. Hoping something sticks. Um, and, you know, if I'm being honest, I've been there too, right? But yeah. But the desire to want to get better and be more consistent, because that's what it's really about. Consistency. Right? right. Like what you're talking about with Rod is it's consistent. You know, the gym's going to be there. You know, the teaching is going to be there. You know, it, there, there's a, there's something I think everybody finds comfort in consistency because you know what to expect. Yeah. And it's when things kind of go haywire that, you know, the person with the better fundamentals 
or understanding of what's going on can crawl out of that hole better. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think that's why it's always fun to deal with, to, to have the executive, their past executive come in and, and work with, because it's not foreign to them to go back to that. Right. Even if they don't even know why they did it or, or have a full understanding of it. If, if I can relate it to, um, when I'm teaching, the the one who's coming in at a later part in life to to start the different you know hobby mm-hmm. teaching is teaching right so when i'm teaching the horse or whatever i'm teaching a, a kid or we're, you're teaching a kid how to count right um you have to start with a known and so it's really hard for me to train a horse if i don't understand his communication right and then I, same thing with the kid you know you're going to teach them how to count to 10 Right. Well, you have to start with something is what the number 10 or what the number five represents. Right. Well, so we start with an apple. Why? Because they know food. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they at least have something. It's a known commodity. Right. So whenever you're dealing with that executive, they are going to go back. You know, if I can understand a, just a small part of, you know, the business of whatever it is that they're doing. And it's like, hey, so we got to go back to its employees or it's, you know, it's this that then it makes sense to them. Right. Because I'm, I'm working with something that is known to them. Right. Because business is important, you know, and it's something that's been livelihood to them for 20 something years or whatever. Right. But um, I think it's a little bit different with the kids because you got to like the known on them to find it. There's there's a lot. It is a clean slate. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're almost developing the known yeah. with them, especially like the mental part of it. You're right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it helps for for parents to get that right because it's not the kid that's hard usually right yeah. as bad as you know, like this is always so hard to explain for parents because it, it it's not a knock on the parents it's just an acknowledgement of it right yeah. you got to understand it yeah and um and it's hard when they explain to most of them yeah and you know you're dealing with their history yeah. they're, they're either success or failures and how they handled it yeah and they're they're whether it's I mean, it's, it's natural to do that. Right. But, um, you know, if they got mad when they didn't perform well, then, and little Jimmy doesn't get mad when he doesn't perform well, well, he's got no drive or, but maybe he does. Maybe little Jimmy just shows it differently, Yeah, you know, and it's, and sometimes trying to find that for each student is a little, a little bit difficult. That's me. What's that? (laughs) The beginning mad. (laughs) I, uh, yeah. (laughs) At the beginning of my career, I, 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 I got accolades for pushing through. Yeah. Right. And God, then it was re- to get rid of that. It was really, really hard to make, to meet the next level. And I had to do it myself because I didn't have a coach. Right. I mean, right. like couldn't, you couldn't, I didn't have anything like that to go and do that with. Right. Well, I was, I was talking to you earlier, just with some of the things that, uh, you know, I've done for, I've done, but some of the things I've had my, some of my junior golfers do. Because yeah. they're about, they're, they are blank slate and I'm a swing coach and I'm a golf coach. Um, but, but the whole mental part of it is, I mean, I've learned a lot in 30 plus years of playing, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it's not my spe- specialty to where it's structured and how I, how I approach it and how I know what makes things work for me. Right. And over those 30 plus years through trial and error, and a lot of well, like reading and listening and talking, you know, I have, I have a, a fairly good grasp on it. Um, but I didn't want the kids to be prejudiced 
towards what my biases were. Right. So I sent them to a school here in town at Tupteo. And um, I sent three kids. Two of them just came back just killing it. In other words, in fact, what was really nice, they were like, coach, like, over 90% of what we learned, you already told us, which was, which was nice. Yeah. Right? But at the same time, the way it was structured, the way it was yeah. presented, the fact that he's a specialist in the mental game, yeah. they, it might have just resonated slightly different with them. You know, no, and it's a different environment. That's the focus. It's not the. It's 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 you know, like almost pulling it out and separating it out. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And then they were like, "Oh, so that's why we say you know certain things." Yeah. And they're like, and and, and it, to see them click, you know. And at first, it was a little hard to say, "Hmm, do I want them to go to somebody else mm -hmm. that could possibly?" But you know, the reality was that is hard. I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't comforting at first because you, of course, you'd like to think that your 30 years of golf experience and 20 years of teaching, yeah. and, you know, you have all the answers or, or you have most of the answers. But, uh, you know, I, I, I took a step back and, and uh, sorry about that. I took a step back and, and the idea of teaching kids was to have a blank slate. Yeah. And so I'd rather them go and learn from a, mental game specialist and and the the kids I chose I chose because they're a little bit more mature for their age than than uh maybe the average. Yeah, kid. I think there has to be a bit of a maturing cuz then cuz then you know you might got I don't know, it can be misconstrued with the young ones, right? Because they Absolutely. can they can take it and start next thing you know they're all wearing their favorite socks or they're doing all you right. know trying to recreate instead of you know, understanding the process. Right. And then that, and that's what we've always talked about in, in, in one class of mine in particular. It's about the process. Yeah. The process of how to improve the process of ha how to handle success, the process of how to handle not succeeding. Boy, that's a, that's a good, that's a big one. Like, it's, I mean, it's one thing to handle success. It's not that hard. Really, it's it's pretty easy. Yeah. And everybody tells you how good you are. Too. I can use it, and I, I can do all kinds of stuff yeah. with it. But it's it's understanding the loss. That's huge. And and I think one of the things that most parents, I guess, because you're just not thinking about it. It's not because the parents are like they're not getting it or whatever. But it's just it's it, it's um it's going to benefit them through the rest of their lives if they understand how to deal with loss. I mean, it happens all the time. It does. Like all the time. It's there. You can't avoid it. Yeah. I, and I think the more you shelter them from it, the bigger they fall later in life, which is, which is even worse. Exactly. You know, um, like the way we look at, not to be morbid, but the way we look at death today is completely different from a hundred years ago where, you know, you know, it, it was just so much more around babies than, you know, there was more deaths as in infancy. There was more death at a younger age. And so you were always surrounded by it. And not only that, but you, you weren't, it was the rural America was bigger. Right. And that's what I, 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 I've shared that with some friends over time about, you know, like there was the big freak out at the beginning of the pandemic and, and everything in it. Like, not, I'm not saying it wasn't real. I mean, I, I'm not stupid, you know, sure. on any of this stuff, but, um, 
the scariest thing that for most was that they had to contemplate death mm -hmm. and it was real. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it hadn't been anything. I'm like, and when you're not in, out in rural America where you have like that same year to begin the pandemic, I lost one of my favorite horses. Um, we lost, uh, one of our favorite dogs in the house. We also, um, you know, we had chickens, we have, you know, the crap out here all the time. And, and, you know, death is a real part of the, of the range life. of farming, yeah. right? I mean, it's just, it is part of life. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you avoid it, you know, uh, it's, it's catastrophic when you have to consider it right. all of a sudden. Right. Right. And it's the same thing as loss. I mean, if we're not competing, if we're just in the gym and we're just doing things or we're just on the, we're on the driving range or we're, you know, running a couple of rounds and, and it's just my score. I'm not, I haven't lost. Yeah. Right. I haven't gone and played a tournament or played against somebody. And it's like, it's, it's the, the craziest thing about golf is that, you know, you go out there and we can go hit and go hang out and have a few drinks until somebody goes and puts a hundred, couple hundred dollars down on the stroke and, or on a hole. And it's like, boom, everything changes. Like your whole game just went, bang out the window yeah that definitely happens there's and there's even even within golf there are guys that are unbelievable at betting and then when they go to the tournament it's a different game and then there are guys that don't bet super well but when they go to the tournament they're everything changes for them like they can't bet but they can play tournament golf isn't that crazy and then there's guys that uh can't play tournament golf but they can that like they can bet and win money it's it's amazing that there's a i think it was tom weisskopf way back in the day was talking about walking around with a bag full of money that he had won from jack nicholas all summer long and then nicholas would go win the major you know the major championship so he was he was beating nicholas i believe you know in money games all the time isn't that crazy but then they'd show up to the tournament and nicholas would just smoke win the, yeah in the tournament so which one do you want? Yeah. You know, like, it's just, I, th I think it's just two different animals. Right. Which is completely different from playing your casual, your casual golf. Yeah. And, and I personally am of the mindset that as a coach, uh, maybe not to just, maybe to just stay in touch with what your, some of your students are doing, which is going and being very competitive. I think it's important to uh, put yourself into a field every now and then remember what it's like to get a little, you know, well, A, to prepare for the tournament. Oh, man. B, to go, you know, warm up and step on the first tee and have your name called and, and just. Oh, that's a different deal, right? It is a different deal. And I think as a coach and as an instructor, it's important to every now and then, you don't have to do it all year, but once or twice a year, once every other year, just put yourself out there and, and remember what it was. And for me, the tournament golf was so fun. I, I really, in hindsight, I wish I would have looked back. I would have, I wish I would have enjoyed it even more. Really? Yeah. I, I loved preparing for tournaments. I loved practicing for tournaments. I loved, I loved having the chance of having the limelight on me. I did. It's um, cool, isn't it? It's really cool. I was, ta I was talking. So on the, on the podcast before we've had, uh, uh, Brendan O'Reilly. Okay. And he, um, he was, he, He's a jujitsu guy and MMA guy. And, um, he was in Ultimate Fighter Australia okay. house, mm -hmm. and then he had like about six or seven fights in the in the UFC. And he teaches MMA up here at in Bernie. Okay. 
and um and he's and he's Aussie and he's I like him he's fun he come out and he he'd ride horses with me and stuff and so he's he's a cowboy too and and um and one of the things that he had said is he's in he you know he's in a couple of the big fights right and he's uh and he's just so focused and so you know the, into the mental part of really being able to get in there and compete and he said it was just a shame he said thinking back that somebody didn't tell me to enjoy this while I'm here like there's just you know, man, while you're there, you know, soak that in, man. And I can understand why, I mean, you want to perform and to, to perform, you have to be in a certain mind space. Yeah. In my opinion. And I I loved preparing for tournaments. I really did. It's a level of focus. That's crazy. cool, Right. Yeah. I, I, it it never seemed like work to me. Uh It was just like, I got a tournament. This is what I do. And, and I love it. And I, and I think it's important for coaches to remember what it's like to feel a little nervous over a three foot putt mm. or, you know, cause that's where, the, that's where the process actually pays off. Right. Really pays off. Right. You trust the that's process. That's when it counts. Yeah, it's absolutely. not on, it's not on the first tee. It's, yeah. Right. No, it's that last, that's it. It's that three foot putt yeah. where everybody's watching and it counts completely. And can you go and yeah. have just as much fun doing that stroke as you did the first one. And when it goes in, can you enjoy it yeah. and then reset? Yeah. And can, if it doesn't go in, can you accept it and then reset and then just keep moving forward? Mm-hmm. Just keep moving forward. The, uh, when you look at it, the, I lost my train of thought here. It was, um, the, uh, I I watched that movie, um, seven days in utopia. Yeah. But it's that kind of deal. Like it's, I think what most people don't realize, uh, we can see in in most movies, it's just a you know fanciful. Voila! I was there, and he just handled it, and whatever else. Yeah. And it's not; it's a practice thing. Absolutely, it's a it's a. And you start with something small. Yeah, you start with hand, learning how to handle small things. And you know, a young student of mine asked me once, well, coach, how do you know how to handle big things? I said, well, if you handle most of the small things, the big things never really develop. But if they do develop, you handle them the same way you handled the small things. And, um, you know, I think that that really truly is in golf anyways. If I take care of the things I need to take care of, my grip, my alignment, my posture, my swing plane went way before the tournament, my controlling my trajectories, my distances, then you just got to step up there and allow yourself to, to do it. Same thing in jujitsu. Like if you know that you need a certain grip Mm -hmm. or two certain grips or whatever, once you get those grips, you can do it. But if you try to do the move without the grips, I mean, you're asking for big problems, right? Right. So to me, it's always about controlling the things you can control and, and letting go of the things that aren't helping you. Right. Um, now that's crazy. Cool. There's, uh, I was going to, um, with the, with the, um, I think one of the things that most don't get when they're watching the coaching aspect of things, you know, like you may look at it and you're thinking like you're coddling the kid too much at this time, or you got to toughen him up or whatever else. And understanding that that's a, that each one handles differently, mm-hmm. but that understanding for like most parents, for them to understand that you're, you can't just like give your kid confidence. 
right? Yes. I mean, like, it's just not just like, voila, he's got confidence. You know, right. like, just tell him he's good and he's good, right? right? That confidence really comes from knowledge. And knowledge takes time, time. right? Like, the, to know what those fundamentals are, you don't just tell them one time. It's so much of the knowledge comes from experience. Right. right. And so there's kids have to go experience. through. Yeah. yeah. And, and to, and not just one experience, right. but the experience of right, the experience of wrong, the experience of halfway between that we're not using it, using it, and then starting to put it in a combination with a, you know, how is your head, you know, position as important as you're, you know, using your thighs and all the different things that you have to, it culminates. Right. 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 And to be able to control all of those, it becomes a, such a repetition that, you can just relax and let it happen. So there's time in that, but then knowing all the things that you're doing, dude, it's such a long, it's such a long road, right? And, and you know, like one of the things you're saying is like there's an awareness, like you riding the horse out there, you having the awareness of, you know, the, how your head affects what your hips are yeah. doing, and that the horse is feeling the response of your hips because of your head, right? Like, you know. It goes around and around and around. So what's important? Do I control my hips? Do I control my head? You know, and, and maybe the answer is the head one day, the hips another day, and nothing the next day. They're just doing what they're doing. But, mm -hmm. but you know, the confidence takes time. Oh. It takes understanding. It takes um, experiential exper knowledge. Yeah. Right. And I think what, and it takes a little faith, uh, if you ask me. It takes faith to just stick with the process. Oh. And just know that it may not happen tomorrow, next week, next month, but it will happen if you just stick with the yeah. the process in almost anything. Yeah. You know, working out. You, you, day one. Trusting the program. Absolutely. Understanding that there's actually a program. It's just not an instance. Right. Well, one time and you got it kind of deal. We just forget. I think it, as parents, they get into a certain age in life we kind of just you know when we get to our kids and we forget how long it took for you to learn how to do addition and subtraction like that was years <laughs> but for me it was even more years <laughs> right, right. slow on that yeah. but i mean you just forget how long it takes to learn all that stuff when you just to, as an adult you start to take it for granted some of the stuff that you just know and you, you and i mean it can get really frustrating too but it's so I'll give you an experience. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. It was uh, such an eye opener for me. Right. Um, so, um, my youngest son, um, George, um, he, um, we, we got him, we, we, we brought him into our home. We didn't adopt yet, but we were, uh, we we're fostering to adopt. And he was, um, he was five years old. And, um, he would walk around, he would walk around and, he, and it was driving me crazy because he'd walk on your feet and you know, like be in the kitchen and he just, you know, yeah, I've been around a little kids like, just like walk and, and you're like, they just walk right in front of you. You don't even see you. You're like, Whoa, Hey, Hey buddy. And they didn't like, they didn't even know that you said anything to you. You're like, Dang. like I, I'm the one I'm invisible. Right. Well, you walk around, George would walk on your feet and you walk I'm like, and you're like, Hey, Hey. Like, come on, man. Like, you got your own feet. Walk on your feet. Don't walk on mine, right? right. And and his space was just way off. And like, he's just completely unaware, right? And I was having such a hard time with it. And I'm like, you know, at one point, I'm just like, stop. Get off my feet, man. And, and, and he wasn't getting it, right? 
And so I talked to this lady who was, who's actually uh, a behavioral therapist type deal with the kids and okay. stuff. And she was like super knowledgeable. Right. And so I'm like, why, why is my kid doing this? Like, what am I going to do? And, and she was saying, she explained that, you know, that he needed to, you know, you got to teach it to him. You got to teach that to him. I'm like, I'm not telling him to stop. <laughs> She's like, no, you got to teach it to him. And I'm like, so, okay, so how do I teach it to him? Right. And she says, well, that's something that's learned. And by that, this time he's like six or seven. Right. And, um, and she's like, well, that's something that's learned by three-year-olds when they're three, two and three years old. Right. It's like your little kid walks around and he steps on your feet and what are like, Oh, excuse me. Like, and you teach him like that. And you'd say, Oh, say, you know, Mr. Camacho say, say, excuse me. And you shake his hand and you do these things. Oh, you're teaching him to acknowledge this space. You're teaching him to acknowledge these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's taught. This was crazy. It was taught in the concept of a three-year-old and it's learned in that way it's not learned another way and i'm like well so you telling me i have to take my seven-year-old and say say excuse me mr camacho say oh looky here you know and, and she goes yes i'm like oh my god i don't think i can do that <laughs> i'm like you gotta be kidding me and she goes well have you ever been around somebody who like has spatial issues and they're adults and they stand too close to you when they're talking and you're like, you can move away and they move back into your space. And you're like, and I'm like, yeah, like those, that new year takes the crap out of me when somebody doesn't know that. She goes, well, your son will be that as a 30 year old if you don't do it. I'm like, oh my God, you have to do it. Oh, I got to do it. Right. But I had to do it in the context of the three year old. Right. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So, so how long do I have to do that? She goes, it takes a couple of years. Oh my God. So you have the patience to do that with a two or three year old, right? How in the world am I going to do this with a seven, seven year old? Yeah. I did it. It was not easy, right? But we did it. And now, and, and so one of the other things she said was just blew my mind about it. So it had to be taught in context, right? And that is a building block for other things. Sure. If you neglect it, he's going to not have other skills because that skill is required to learn the other, other skills, which goes back to fundamentals. Fundamentals. Yeah. So, and you learn that at three. And you, exactly. Right. And in, in know, that I've, context, it had to be taught. Just, I find it interesting that at first you were telling him, don't stand on my feet. Don't, don't, don't. And then the things that she was saying was like, okay, tell Mr. Camacho. Like you're giving them like statements to do right. versus saying don't. Right. And that's huge. Yeah. And so like what I've learned over the years is, I mean, really people in general have, I, if you look on the internet, the, the number varies widely, but the majority of our thoughts are in like negative fashion. Yep. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't cross the street. Don't touch the hot stove, right? And so, and that's for preservation, right? right? Very simple. So it's very easy when you're competing to slip into don't don't miss the putt, don't hit the water, don't hit it out of bounds. Don't. But all of those things actually manifest mm. because you're thinking about. I always say the brain doesn't hear the word "don't." Right. And so now you're saying out of bounds, water, three putt. Yeah, it's what you're focusing on. 
Absolutely. You know, in, in jujitsu, like don't get armbarred. Don't. And what I found is if you can focus on what you want so yeah. in jujitsu, stay tight. Yep. Elbows close. Elbows close. Stay safe. Right. Stay safe is much a much better thought in the middle of a fight than don't screw up. Don't. Yeah. Don't don't get hit. Don't yeah. get don't get off balance. Don't whatever. Stay safe. Stay safe. Do I feel safe? No. Back off. Or, or something like that. So when you're teaching the swing on golf, do you... I try to give statements. Yeah. I try... I, I was something I... Telling them where to look or what to pay attention to instead of don't pull your head or don't look this way or... Yeah. Don't, stop. Yeah. Don't... Yeah. I now hardly ever say don't move your head. I say keep your head still, which is <laughs> it's slightly different. And it's, it's slightly huge. Different. Yeah. And, it's, and it is. It's the same as telling, you know, tell Mr. So-and-so sorry for stepping on his feet and go around him. Yeah. It's very different from saying don't step on somebody's feet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the, even when you go to the 6 a.m., like I will say, grip here, grip here. Uh, it's very like directives versus don't let him do this. I yeah. say, if he gets this, you do this, this yeah. instead of don't, 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 don't. Cause you know, you stand on the edge of the map being waiting to call, uh, being, waiting to be called in or you're waiting on the first tee. And if you're thinking, don't, 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 you know, don't be, you know, don't be quick versus be smooth. Yeah. Two very different. And it's the attitude you come in with, right? If you come in and you're, you're, you step on the first tee and you're like, man, I'm so lucky to be here. (laughs) I'm so excited. And it's such a, like, uh, it's a joy. Yeah. Right. Versus, yeah. you know, I, this is so much pressure and, you know, and do I deserve to be here or, you know, I can't handle Ooh, that's this a big one. Oh, do I deserve? That's a tough one. That's so tough. Oh, that is a hard one to do. That is really a hard one. That's, that's a huge one. That's one that um, is difficult in every part, especially once you've, you know, like almost feel, you almost feel like you're a counterfeit that you got there. Right. Especially if you've, you're doing okay. Like, and then you're expected to. That's a big mindset. I think it's a dangerous one to, to fall victim to. Mm-hmm. You know, do I deserve it? I don't know. Did you work hard? Yes. Did you put in a lot of effort? Yes. Did you, you know, do all the requirements to be here? Yes. Yeah. Then okay, you deserve it. But, you know, what's what one person says is deserving, the next person could say is not deserving. Yeah. Right? And so you might have two athletes that work equally hard. One person believes he, he deserves it because of all the hard work he just did. The yeah. other person saying, man, I don't know if I worked hard enough. And so now the likelihood of him or her achieving it goes down a little bit. Yeah. Which is tough. That is really hard. That's a hard place to be at with the kids. And or, any, or any athlete. Yeah. For any athlete, period. You, know, you see it in the gym, like – you do see it. You see guys work their tail off and then they're just a little bit short on whether they feel like they quote unquote deserve it. Yeah. And no one, no one says it, but when you hear them talk, you can hear it. You can hear it. You can, you can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that is such a huge art in coaching to be able to acknowledge that. I see that, right. To be able to see somebody's, um, like to hear it in their language, mm-hmm. right? And and to be able to like redirect it beforehand, like get them on the right way of thinking, 
you know, and kind of nip that in the bud and try to create, you know, keep that from happening, you know, and get into that. Cause it will, I mean, the whole idea is to get to the point where you are successful with it. And then when you get to the point where you are successful with it, and then you almost feel like you're a counterfeit to get in there or do I deserve to do this or whatever else. That's a hard, it's a, it's a hard one. And it's a bad one to come back from. I mean, that's a battle. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. And, I, and that's why I like with these younger kids that I sent to the quote unquote sent to the mental game school. Yeah. Um, I just, they have, to, they have to be a certain level of maturity to be able to go there and get something from it. Mm-hmm. But the, the sooner you give them the better skills to mentally handle the game. Yeah. They get to build those skills stronger and stronger so that what I learned by the time I was 32, they got it by 18. Yeah, that's huge. Right. And so, you know, it's a, I forgot who the scientist was, but like basically they said they stood on the shoulder of giants. If they saw further, it's because they stood on the shoulder of the work. Yeah. And when I was sitting there, you know, to go back a little bit, when I was sitting there thinking like, hey, do I want to send them to this? Like the reality was is, Give them the better skills at a younger age. Let them develop the skills. Let them do it. And let them try and go further than what I did or what other people have done, right? So Yeah. That's a tough – so that's why I think the one of the greatest unsung, you know, heroes of most all sports are whether knowingly or unknowingly were the coach, right? Even whether there's knowing or unknowing on the coach's behalf, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, because – Knowingly or unknowingly from the competitor, you know, you were given that confidence and you were guided in the right direction, you know, by somebody, you know. And it's normally more than one person, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you can push into it and if the parents aren't supportive and pushing it, you know, and believing and saying it, you know, behind it, like you got no chance, you know, none whatsoever. If you, if you're all on the same page, I think that's one thing that I like whenever I'm coaching these kids and, and, um, and the parents are, are, are on the same page, right. That they understand as much as I do, like, man, I want to go out there and kill it. I want your kid to go and hit the national championship. I want, I want all that too. But we kind of will miss the boat if this is all, if the pinnacle of his life is here. Absolutely. Like, man, what if I, I mean, like how screwed up is that, that we topped this kid out at 16? That's, oh no. I don't know if you remember the show El Bundy. Yeah. With El Bundy is married yeah. with children. Yeah. But the fact that he's living, his best years were <laughs> scoring four touchdowns at Polkai, you know? Yeah. Like that's a sad life, actually. It really is. It's a sad life. Yeah, it really is. And and we we've all we've all known a couple of those fellows. Absolutely. Yeah. And and then worse yet, reliving that same with with your kids. Like, um, that's always I I really enjoy that whenever I get the opportunity to pour into a kid and pour into a client for the long haul. Right. That we're we're actually making. Uh, that's, you know, it's the same with my kids. Like I want to, I want them to do well, but my most, my, the most important thing for me is making a generational change. Sure. Right. If I can impact them in a way that impacts the next one and the next one, because I've put them on the right path uh, and it's even harder. It's one of the things that I teach, you know, with the horses, right. It's the cool part. So once I've taught them how to do all the stuff, right. Then it's teaching them how to be accountable. 
That's a whole nother level, right? That's something completely different. Right. Yeah. And the time that goes into that, you know, but that is a lot of allowing them to make, and that's the hardest part is allowing them to make the mistakes so they can grow. So I'm, yeah. So I'm telling you that I, I wanted them to go see this mental game school and, and all that. But the reality is, is you have to make mistakes. Yeah. Like all I'm trying to do, they're going to probably hit the same pitfalls that I hit as a player. Yeah. They're probably going to go through the same things, but if they have better skills and better tools to navigate either around them or maybe not go as deep into those pit, pitfalls, then you're helping them. Right. And, and, Ooh, that's and a hard I, one to watch. Hard one to watch for the parents, right? Hard one to watch for the coach. Super tough. Because, you know, your livelihood depends on them doing well and exceeding. And and all it takes is like, you know, a, a four-month, you know, having to recover and fix something or whatever else for them to go, you know. So we're going to try a different type of, you know, like, oh, no, like you're you, like, this has to happen. Mm. It really has to happen. If that, if that, if I expect that horse to know that whenever I put it here, it stays there. It has to experience what happens when you don't stay there. Right. Right. And that's going to be like a lot of sweat, a lot of work, a lot of whatever else. But it's so true that confidence is built up through the knowledge of adversity to, for the, it's not just the knowledge of what to do. It's, it's, it's the experiencing the knowledge of what, what happens when you don't. And if not, we're always going to be questioning, well, why, well, but I should try this. Well, good. And the hardest part is like for a coach is to go like, no, 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 don't do that. Cause you know, it's going to go and do this, but man, look out, go out there. Let's try that out. You know, we'll exactly. figure that out. But you have to have the liberty to do that. That's why it has to be, you're buying into a program. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, and, and. And it's not necessarily instantaneous. No. You're lucky if it is. Yeah. And it can happen quickly. Sometimes. Sometimes. But there's going to be a fall at some point. Has to be. I mean. that Because that fall is what helps you pick yourself up and. And grow. And grow. Yeah. Right. Because you can't. You're never going to get there without the adversity. Never. It, it just. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> no, at, nobody has wins. Tiger Woods has the best winning percentage in the history of golf. And he, it's five to one. So he, he loses five times for every one that he wins. And that's crazy. the best. That's yeah. the best ever. That's so crazy. And we. But yeah, all we do is talk about how much he wins. Yeah. Because well, that, that's the only features that. They do. Right. You of know, course. Like, Unfortunately, he's probably one of the few that's featured when he loses. But, um, but majority of everybody else, we don't, we don't pay attention to their losses. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it was Gatorade had a really good commercial with Michael Jordan. Talking about, I've missed this many game winners. Oh, like, right. that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, I succeed because I've, you know, I've fallen short before or something like that. Yeah. And like his percentages are like 60%. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to get a, a young person who it, I, I told, so one of my students um, shot a career low round in a tournament. And I used to tell them, we want you to win. You want to win. I want you to win. We, I want nothing but success. But there's going to come a day when you shoot your career low and you don't win. So how do you feel about that? You just shot your best round ever, but you don't win. And it was always just kind of a hypothetical thing to them. 
because I've experienced that personally. Like, man, I just shot my best round and I didn't fight the good and win. I wasn't the low round of the day. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, but it happened just last week to one of my students. Um, and they didn't, they, she ended up tying. Okay. But a lot of high school golf, they do a scorecard playoff. So, which all that means is that someone randomly picks a hole. And whoever made the better score on that hole wins. Wins. And so she shot 64, which is, yeah, seven under par. She's 15, seven under par. Another 15 year old girl or 16 year old girl shot seven under par, which is to have two kids on the same day. Yeah. Same tournament. Oh. And she lost the playoff. My student lost the playoff. So, so all of a sudden, the thing that I told her could happen happened. Happened. And how do we handle that? She's like, well, I missed a couple putts. I should have shot 61. I said, okay. I agree. You could have made those putts, but you didn't. How do we handle it? Are we still going to be, are we going to walk tall knowing that you beat your previous score by five shots? Or are we going to let the fact that some scorecard playoff said that you didn't win? So how do you want to, how do you want to walk forward? Do you want to walk forward proud and happy and knowing that you did something that you'd never done before? Or do you want to remember that some random score on a whole determine the winner or loser she's like i'll be happy so good let's walk forward that because you know that, that if you don't if winning is everything mm. and you just killed your best score by five shots now you're not even you're not even you're not even happy so yeah. what are you practicing for what are you trying to do why are we here right. you know, a lot of, there are a lot of people very good golfers that, that don't shoot 64 no and what does that say for everybody gets a trophy like that's the dumbest thing. I'm like, I'll say it. Like it's the dumbest damn thing there is that no. everybody gets a trophy. No, you know, like that. Where's mean, the incentive to like practice a little bit more? Right. And what would what? I mean, so it's having a good coach that understands that you know we don't always win, and that's where we everybody gets crushed. If that and if not, then we're all like, so we're all even? No, we're not. There, we're not. Then if that's the case, then why are we doing sports? We're not, not doing it. No. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't know if you're, what you do or don't do, but there's a, a show on Netflix. I think it's Netflix. It's called 14 Peaks. Have you ever heard of it? No. So this, uh, I guess he's a Nepalese from Nepal. Yeah. And he climbs. There's 14 mountains in the world that are over 8,000 meters high. Yeah. He climbs all 14 of them in under seven months. Yeah, crazy. And some people like take away from the fact that he did it because they're like, oh, well, he used oxygen over a certain. But it turns out when they test him, his body can do things on less oxygen than what the average person is. Right. So he's not. Yeah, he's not equal. He's not equal. Not, not in that yeah. aspect. Right. And it's just a really cool, a, a student of mine actually turned me on to the show. And when, when I finally watched it, I was like, man, I should watch this right when he, right when he said it. But it's just really cool. Like you're up there 8,000 plus meters, which is what, over 20,000 feet easily. And you're like, his body just handles less oxygen better than, than most people's. Like, like even, even elite athletes, his, his body kills it. The same as Lance Armstrong and his ability on the lungs and stuff that when they started measuring that later on. Yeah. He's like in a different league, whole different league. Yeah. You know, that you just can't like to, but 
That's that whole comparison thing. It's just, you know, this dumb. And like, I, that's what gets you off into a different deal, comparing yourself to somebody else. And like, it, you, it's your game. Play your game. Figure your game. I get, but, you know, beat your, my always, when I go out, I have my kids go on the pen. It's like, your job is to try to beat your last score. And then like, if you do that, you're competing against the right person. You know, you're not competing it like against all the others. It's, it, and if you do incrementally get better each time, you're going to get better. Like you're, you're yeah. going to be unstoppable at that point, you know, and it, it's just a little bit each time, but it, but it, without, without failure, there's no reason for success. It, without failure, there's no learning. There's no growing, yeah. the, you know, it's a, and it's, it's so provable in life and every aspect of life, like to deny it is ignorant. Yeah. You know, um, you take all the stupid, you know, whatever politics out of whatever. That's just not true. So, I mean, I always use these, these stories because like Ford Motor Company, huge company. Mm -hmm. Some people like it. Some people don't, whatever. But a lot of people don't know that his first company turned into Oldsmobile, mm -hmm. which was a GM turned into a GM product. His sec second company was later turned into Dodge. Yeah. And then his, it was his third company which he had learned from some of his mistakes in the two previous companies. And maybe he did some underhanded things, but it was the third company that became what we think of as Ford Motor Company. But without the mistakes of the first two. Wouldn't have been. There's no Ford as we think of it now, right? Yeah. So it's just the case of... And his perspective. Yeah. Right? There was a, um, there was an interview, I can't remember, or, or um, they questioned the inventor of the light bulb. And he, they, you know, like asked him how how many times did it take for him to invent the light bulb, and he was like, you know, something stupid, like you know, five thousand whatever, you know, attempts before he finally got it right. And they were like, oh, how could you handle, you know, being wrong and having, you know, it failure that many times? He goes, I didn't think it was failing. I just thought there was five thousand steps to making a light bulb. It's perspective, yeah. Yeah, like I told you, I had a golf club in my hand all the time. And, you know, years later, people were like, you didn't see that as hard work. And I was like, no, to me, it was, I felt, I felt good when I had a club in my hand all the time. Yeah. I wanted it in my hand. I was always holding it, always gripping it, always doing something with it. Um, But yeah, perspective is, yeah. and that's why, you know, with the young lady that shot her low round, like, do we want to walk away from this experience feeling bad about like crushing your previous low score mm -hmm. just because you didn't get the official, you know, if she goes out and loses the playoff, we'll have a different conversation. Sure. But the fact that you just pick a random hole and whoever had the lower score on that hole wins, that's, you know, and I think something that's really important, it would be a good thing for most parents to understand. Um, I, because when I, when I coach, um, I get to be with them when they're competing. Right. And I, coach them before and when they come out of the pen i coach them outside of the pen right so immediately the first thing that comes out of the pen the emotion that they feel the the um that's given to them most of them are going to come out and they may you know not feel the best about the run or whatever else but what i build when they come out of that and what i build into their emotions when they come out of that pen is the same emotion they're going to take back into the pen the next time, right? So when they come out of the pen, 
there's going to be a time for me to fix and work on things that you've done wrong, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the time. Mm-hmm. When they come out of the pen, it's to it's to praise the accomplishment of what they did, focus on what you did right, build them up. And, and because then when they come back in, they're going to come back into that pen with the same motion that I just came, I just brought them to when they came out, right? Yes. When we come back to the show pen, I mean the practice pen two days later, when you're back at the house or the next week, when we come back to the house, we're going to address all the things that you've really messed up. We're going to work on all this. Not I'm going to neglect all that stuff, but when I come out of that pen, I'm not trying to um, tell you that, you know, you did a great job just because, you know, I'm going to make you feel better about your losing. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm trying to give you the emotions. I don't want to take you and crush yourself. You're going to be so, especially the competitor, right? The one that wants to be the competitor is some of the harshest people on themselves, right? right. They're the toughest on themselves. They're, they're the most critical of themselves. I don't need to add to it whenever you come out of that pen. I need to like go. Dude, was that not fun? <laughs> like, and they'll come out of there like, I don't even know what happened. I can't even like a blacked out in the middle of it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to look at freaking run, adrenaline rush, right? And I'm on a horse going fast and you're freaking out and whatever else. And they're like, oh my God, I don't even know what happened. I don't even know what happened. I was like, ah, it was fine. You're fine. Like, get ready. You're going to go do it again tomorrow, right? Yeah. With, with the students, I have a like a closer relationship to, um, which I, I try to develop that, but like, some people are just more forthcoming, more open about it. Sure. Like they'll call me after the tournament round. I always ask them a simple question. First, what did you shoot? Because the sooner you get the number over with, when you start, if you played bad and you don't want to say the number, the number becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in your yeah. head. The sooner you just say, say it, what the number is, where we're at. We, can, we can move forward. Right. And then the second thing I always ask them is how do you feel about your round? Right. Because a lot of times I can't be, there yeah. at the tournament with them and then they'll tell me you know i feel bad about this i feel good about this and then i always try to steer it towards the when i'm immediately talking to them towards what we did well man i'm um, kind of like what you're saying yeah and you know try to take that perspective and then when we come back we'll we'll look at things that maybe didn't go as well and and we'll build from there but the uh, i learned that a long time ago just say the number say the number get it over with yeah most of the time, as soon as people hear it, they turn and walk away. Anyways, it's it's really the people that really want to know about you and know how you shot that number will sit there and say, well, how'd that happen? Yeah. You know, tell me about your round. A lot of other times people just want to, did I beat you? Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. And so the reality was sometimes- Right where I'm at. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes where, you know, I would, as a- junior golfer, even college golfer, like maybe I worked my butt off to shoot a 74 and that 74, I felt really good about because yeah. I had to overcome a lot of adversity. And then you would speak to somebody and they'd be like, oh, on a course like this, you should have shot like 68. No, you should never shot higher than 68. And now you're like, you're deflated now and all that. Or I've won tournaments and thought I played horrible. I think it's the weirdest. It, it's really strange. So that's why I, I always try to tell the kids, I, we want to win. You want to win. They want to win. That's why they're putting in work. Right. But it can't be really, truly just about the the winning. Because there are days when you underperform in your mind and you come out the B. Yeah. And then and that is days really... when you crush your best score ever. 
And that's a bad place to be too, when it's all about just having to get the win. Yeah. Because then, uh, I think what one of the things that most people that have hit some and gotten some success, right, is that I hear from them over and over is, um, you know, and the next day, we just got to go do it again. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and that's how life is. Yeah. Right? Like, but, you know, okay, well, that was a, you know, really great. But now if it's all about the win, then two days later, we're back on the same track. And now it's, a, now it's just, you know, it's just a grind. Right. It's just, then it's no fun. You got yeah. to take all the fun out of it. I mean, you know? it's, it's great. It's, I enjoy winning. It's, but if it's everything yeah. to me, it's just like, what do you, what do you really, you're building yourself up to fail. Oh, definitely. And, and, and to be unhappy. Multiple, and yeah. multiple areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And multiple areas of life. If you can find the, the joy in the process, the joy in the performing, like how oh, it gets so much better. It's so much nicer, yeah. you know. And when you find the joy in that, then you do get to swing free. You get, you do get to do all those things because you're finding the joy in the process instead of it's the it's the the end goal. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's something I uh, I don't know if you ever heard. Uh, I think it was Kobe Bryant's retirement speech. Mm. So I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I heard it. And he basically said the dream isn't the championships. The dream is getting up early. The dream is working on your shot, working on your game, working on things to make you better. That's the dream. The dream isn't all the other stuff comes when you follow your dream of waking up. And this is what I get to do every day. Yeah. As I was telling you the other day that I got up and rode a few horses in the morning, rode till about noon, went over and went rope with a fretted buddy of mine for a while. And then I went and did jujitsu in the afternoon. I was like, dang, how did I do that? Like, I got paid today. Yeah. <laughs> like, how stupid is that? Yeah. You know, people say the same thing about me. And until you said it a second ago or about an hour ago, two hours ago, I was like, I was thinking, wow, that's pretty nice. And then people say, well, you're at the golf course? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I do jujitsu and I go to the golf course. <laughs> Cheater. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that actually brought a little healthy perspective to me when you said that. I was like, oh, okay. It is. I get it. It yeah. is. It's good to have every once in a while. Absolutely. Yeah. So everybody needs a reality check. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You really forget just how lucky, you know, just how lucky some of us have gotten to do. And, and not that, um, that's the only way to do it. Like there's, there's love for all kinds of stuff. I mean, absolutely. You know, I could find that love in, you know, running heavy equipment, like, dude, that's some cool stuff. Like I get to go around and move big pieces of dirt and, you know, do, yeah. and there's a, there's a joy in that. And thank goodness we're not all built the same because, you know, that might not be, that may be an unbelievable, you know, like grind of like, never want to do that with some. And right. And, um, and then when you get to do that, something that you're finding the fun in, like the hours don't seem like there's not enough hours in the day is how I feel. Like it pisses me off that it's already five o'clock or <laughs> the, the thing a while back, I was talking to my wife and we were talking and I said, you know, I know I love golf. I know I love jujitsu. I said, but if I had to pick something that I think I really love more than both of those, it's learning and teaching, like learning mm -hmm. and sharing my, my knowledge. Yeah. I love like nothing 
like first thing when I walked into this room is I looked at your books because I anything that lets me grow my mind, yeah, like it's a trip to me. I used to spend time in if you couldn't find me at campus in college, mm-hmm. like a lot of times I'd be in the library just reading a random book. My wife's always like, "You got random information in your head." I love it. I love it. But I, got, I really I got do. stupid information in my head sometimes. I do, but you know what? Like, it comes out every now and then. Uh, it fits. And last night, I didn't. I went to the six o'clock class last night, and I didn't even leave. I think till eight twenty, because for an hour afterwards, we were just sitting there talking about jujitsu and like, you know, hey, if you do this, if you do that, you know, and just talking and learning from each other and like, like to me, that's a. It's, it's so it feels so good to like grow mentally, grow physically, grow. You got to feed the brain, man. I mean, it is, it, it, it is, it's such a cool, the end. Then when you get to find how you apply that, all the other parts of life into that, or all the parts of that into the other, all the other parts of life. I'm like, that's. Yeah. That, I was watching you ride the horse. That's right. I'm like, his mount control should be just ridiculous. <laughs> it should be. And maybe it is. Like, and the part that sucks is I've never gotten to show it to you. <laughs> The no, but it's like everything you're saying, like you're talking about how your head affected your hips. I yep. talk about that in the golf swing. We talk about that in the jujitsu. Like the more you understand it, the more you start to realize, at least in physical motion, how much it sports, period. Like any athleticism, any and he's and not even like in the full definition of sports, but like all the correlation between music and what you do and music and what I do. Like mm-hmm. it's just it opens up it opens up everything, right? The the best songs or the best times, some of the best rounds of golf I ever played, there would be a portion of a song going through my head. Looped. Just a portion. Yeah. And when I would practice with a metronome, I would would swing best for certain shots, short game shots to a certain beat. And one day I was just curious and I just started like trying to find the beats per minute for these songs that would, it was like four or five songs that would continually just randomly pop into my head and I'd always play well. So I started listening to those songs before I would get to the course. Turns out the beats per minute on those portions of the song correlate to what I would always practice to. So, so my brain found like a song or a rhythm that matched my best practice tempo and Shockingly or unshockingly, I would play well those days because I was swinging to that tempo. That's crazy. The whole day, I sing um, when I'm asking when I when I ask a horse to come down to a certain rhythm. Like so, one of the things that I'm supposed to, um, we got to be able to do is run really really fast and then come back to a really slow, without you know pulling on them and dragging them down. But like you just relax your body mm-hmm. and you slow your beat. And, um, and so I lope my small circles to three blind mice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's funny is, uh, like Rodrigo uses the, the whole bones, like heads, you know, he always sings a song where it's head, hips and toes, hips and toes. Like he's always really, yeah. You've never been there in class when he does that. (laughs) He'll sing the song talking about bass, like how to maintain your bass. And he has this song that he sings. In class, and you're just, but like I said, you, you're three, my, you three blind mice. Yeah. Mine's, mine would be songs that I really didn't even like, but they fit the, 
the beats would fit the what I picked. I don't know why I picked that one, but that's what worked with me on it, and that was the rhythm that I had, and it just worked. So there's, I mean, there's, there's lots of correlations between that, and I think you know, like what you're, what you do when, when, when you coach your athletes coming in from a performance where, you know, you want to give them the same energy that they want to go out in. I'm, I'm trying to do something similar via a phone call or via a text message because I can't always be there. Um, I think if you go to a jujitsu tournament, you know, when you walk off the mat, hopefully you've had some coaches there, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times they go up, you know, bump your hand, give you a hug, win or lose. Right. Right. And yeah. they're trying to give you yeah, a positive, positive energy. idea of it. So you want to come back and do it again. And I mean, it's all the same stuff. Right. And in some of it, we just don't even know why we're doing it. We're just doing it. Cause you know that you see the guy, you know, self-defeated, whatever else you need, you need, he needs it. He, he needs it. Yeah. Right. And and it's the same with the coaching the kids and stuff like, man, you see it. Do you see they need it? Like you got to build them up at those places, you know, and give them the reason to come back and find the fun in the doing. In the process. In the process. And that we're going to come back and do it again. Yeah. And again. You just want to do it again because you that like that that's the fun. That is the joy of it. One of the one of the guys in the class came up and he's a white belt. And what I've tried to do in the 6 a.m. classes. Show a knee slice pass, show a, a smash pass, you know, show, show some passes. Um, and we've just been kind of doing it again and again and again. And then intermittently, like we've worked on like a single leg sweep, single leg egg sweep, a Delaheva sweep. And the other day we started showing how this sweep will lead to these, like all these four sweeps that I just showed you all lead to this, the same four passes and how they kind of yeah. connect and uh i guess it was maybe a week ago anyways the he came up to me after class and he's like you know i was paying attention you end up there a whole bunch like, yeah like but you could see the lights like you could see something had turned on where he's like oh if i get to certain positions and like i'm learning those positions already yeah, just got to get there. He'd love to see the light bulb come It's on. so fun. You're like, oh, yeah, that's why we're actually going somewhere with this. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really fun. And like, you know, Audrey was really good at that. Um, I love going over to Heba and Bernie. Yeah. And yeah, Heba's improved so much as a teacher, if you ask me. Really? And mostly language. Like yeah. just the way he explains it and the language he uses, to me, is it's, it's, he's much more clear and much more concise. Um. And then you know, when you like roll with Tiago, like, I don't know, I was talking to Alex the other day and like Tiago is getting on another level where it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy when you roll with him and, and the way he, the way he goes about it in class is a, it's a much more free and open kind of ideas. Yeah, it really which is. is a different kind of yeah. style of teaching. Yeah. Um, but then when you roll with him, you can see how he's, like oh okay, it's like, the same way he's the, the way he's teaching is the way he's rolling, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So he, I think there's value in all of it. It is, and the way he rolls is what I'm. I think was where I'm missing because he just rolls with whatever you're giving him. He's taking, and that's where I, like I, that's what Rodrigo keeps hitting me up with is that you know i'm i'm not looking for what's available i'm trying to force what i'm you know you want. To, yeah and it was like is it so indicative of like how i train horses and how i have horses and everything like i'm so you know bent that that 
kind of rabbit trail I went down to down, you know, earlier on in my career of, you know, like forcing it down my way kind of deal. Um, yeah, that like, you just, I gotta work. It's, it's in every place that I'm working at, you know, it's yeah. everywhere. So the way I teach, I like routine. I find, I find comfort in routine, just like I find comfort in, in, uh, like doing the same, like not ex- the exact same routine. I don't want to become a slave. Right. right. But I like routine when I play golf and I find like when I go to jujitsu, I park in the same area. Very Ooh, now I'm going to see where you park. I'm going to park in your spot. <laughs> there's, there's one of the guys at this gym where if his area is taken, he just leaves. I, I, will, I will park other places, but he just leaves. And to me, now you're becoming a little bit of a, a slave to the, to the grind. But like routine is, I think if you find athletes, routine is it's huge it's where you get a lot of confidence from yeah like your routine over and over and over because now you're in your comfort zone now yeah. you can let your body you know what to expect a little bit you can roll a little more free you it's always the unknown that gives anxiety right yeah like yeah. to some people anxiety is caused by not knowing yeah what's gonna happen so if you can give like you you were talking about it earlier like you know how do you count well you got to have something that's known to to the young person right right and it's the known that gives you your your comfort and your yeah. your ability to relax. So the horse is really crazy. They they learned from you know I just told you a couple of different ways that they learned. One of the things they learned repetition is how they really learn, right? Mm-hmm. But um, when we do patterns and we're doing things that's expected, then they try to because they learn through repetition, they start reading ahead, right? And so your job is they've got to do it because you told them to do it, not because they think they know. Right. So then you start making them wait. And when you start making them wait, it creates the, it heightens anxiety. And all of a sudden then things get really tight and they get really, really big. Right. And so the older horses, a lot of times harder to show most of the time than the young horse, because the young horse has no preconceived notions, right? They just doing what you're telling them. But then after they start to see the repetitive nature of the competition and the showing, because we do the same repetitive things in it, then they start reading ahead. And so we get penalized for them changing leads too early or them leaning and thinking about that. You know, anytime a horse goes and deviates off from what you told them that you have to tell them no, then, and so when you start telling them no, then you, then you're telling them to wait. And then the anxiety gets even higher and higher. And, um, and so the hard part about showing the older horse is, and people worry about them doing it too early and they start holding them and everything else. So the non-pro I teach them that, when they're running around, they're getting ready to do something and the horse starts to have anxiety about it. Tell them what to do. Like, don't tell them, don't do it. Right. Tell them what to do. Yeah. Tell them what to do. So if you're going to, you don't have to say do it now, but you just kind of give them a cue that it's going to be a small, slow. And then that gives them to relax and look, Oh, they know what, they know what to expect. Right. Doesn't say do it right now, but I'm going to say, get ready and set up. Now just relax. We'll do it whenever you get sitting and like stab them and, you know, go and jerk them here or whatever else. And that's like, that's going to create higher anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you can answer the question for them, and so I always, how I explain to most people is like, if I, if we get in the car and I'm going to, I've got the directions and you're driving, right. And we head up to that four-way intersection up there with the light and it's, and it's green and we get ready to come up to the intersection. You're going to ask me, which way do we go? I got the directions. If I go, just, I'll tell you when we get there, you're going to start to worry. It's even worse if I start reach over and step on the gas pedal and I'll tell you when we get there, right? And I keep it at 60 and you're getting closer and closer to the intersection. You're going to, you're, the closer we get and the less that I inform you, the higher the anxiety, right? 
But if we turn that corner, we head down to that light and I go, when you get to the light, take a left. We're going to go five miles and we'll take a right. Well, there's no anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And I can say, when we get there, we are going to do. But it doesn't mean you have to do it right now. But I've already eliminated the guesswork to it. So if I can tell that horse, give him a heads up, here's what we're going to do. And we can sit back and now just whenever I tell you, we'll do it. We'll do it. Then I, I eliminated anxiety and everything's going to be all right. But it's the way that they learn, right? They learn from the re repetition. It's one of the ways. And we do too, right? We learn from the repetition. Absolutely. But it's that the not knowing, right? Right. So there's a there's a really good putter on tour. He's probably a senior tour player now. Um, but statistically, he's been one of the best putters the tour's ever seen. And, uh, you know, he always talks about people always think they have to make the putt. The second you have to make the putt, when you miss, it, it creates anxiety. It creates like nervousness. It creates tentativeness. It creates yeah, bad things. And he's like, you know, you need to read the green well. You need to have good speed on your putt. You need to have a good start line for where you read it. After that, you're really just giving the ball a chance. So he takes away from the anxiety or the nervousness or the tentativeness by, you know, statistically speaking, once a, once a PGA tour player gets eight feet as a, as a whole, as a PGA tour, as a whole, they're at 49%. So they only make 49% of putts from eight feet. Wow. That's it. 49% as a whole. They're obviously better in their That's crazy though. As a whole, as a, all the two on the tour. Best 200 golfers in the world. And same on the European tour. It's the same stat really. From eight feet, you only make 49%. So if that's the best players on the planet, I think a lot of people put way too much pressure on themselves. Yeah. And then when you hear him talk about it, he's talking about read the green well, so he can control whether he reads the green or not. Yeah. Work on the things you can control. Control the start line, which is done in practice. Control the pace, which is also done in practice. And then just give the ball a, a chance. And if you give it a chance, if, if he says, he, he always says that, as long as his ball had a chance, he'll walk away confident. feeling like he did his job. And he's confident that way when he goes to the next hole. Do the same thing again. Same thing. As opposed to, I have to make the putt. When the best 200 players on the planet only make 49% from eight feet. It goes from 100% at one feet, 98, 92, I think. And then it drops to like 86. And then it gets, so every foot you move back, exponentially drop. it starts dropping weight big, big time you know like i'll have people that I th so i think managing expectations is a huge part of the mental game oh yeah you know like i'll have a 12 handicap i'm thinking of one gentleman in particular he's a 12 handicap and if he doesn't hit it to five feet from 100 to 120 yards there's no telling him it's a good shot if he hit it to 10 feet, no telling him. But the PGA Tour, the leader on the PGA Tour, if I'm not mistaken, hits it anywhere from 12 to 14 feet from that distance. And, that's, and he hits it the closest on average. Wow. So again, if the best person on the PGA Tour hits it to 12 feet on average, on average, like sometimes he's going to hit yeah. closer, sometimes he's going to hit it further. And you're getting upset because you didn't hit it inside five feet. Like you're getting upset at something that's it's not realistic. realistic. Yeah. So managing your expectations will help your golf game. Yeah. So you're just setting yourself up to get upset. Right. 
or managing your expectations when you roll. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're a white belt and you're getting upset because a purple belt or a brown belt or, you know, I, actually, if a purple belt and brown belt are rolling with you, that you should actually be happy that happy they gave you one. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, there, a lot of times you want to go in there and work on your own stuff. And so managing expectations to me is a huge part of that's a tough part for a coach to do with clients is manage their expectations. And at the same time, you you know, you want them to want to do well, but at the same time, you like managing it to where you're not creating a failure, you know, no matter what you do. That's yeah. huge. You always want to hit it next to the hole. Sure. Right. But you just have to understand that as long as we're working. That's, closer, closer, that's the direction closer. we're working towards. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like, I don't know about other sports or whatever, but like, there's a lot of analytics in golf now. So you can pull it up. Like, what's the, who's leading the tour from 100 yards away as close as like proximity to the hole? And they'll tell you it's, you know, maybe it's Jordan Spieth at eight, eight feet. I don't know. But hmm. I don't know what it is right now. But you can see that like the average, uh, the average greens hit in regulation. For golf, which means on a par four, you hit the green in two shots. On a par three, you hit it in one shot. On a par five, you hit it in three shots, right? So the average on tour is 12 greens per round. That mm. means they mess up. They miss the green six times. So that means they have to chip. Yeah, yeah that's, really? the, that's the average on tour. Like the leader is at, I think, 13.89, so 14 greens per round. The You're leader- making me feel like I can make the tour. Well, you know, like if that's the best, now they're playing the biggest courses and, and all that. Isn't that crazy though, that, that, you know, we just look at, you know, they're always going to be featuring the top, if you're lucky, top three, you know, yeah, when you watch TV, you're, you're watching the guys that are playing the best, yeah. which they're going to average more greens. They're going to make more putts. They're and gonna, you're looking at what's almost unrealistic whenever you're just talking about making the tour, the top 200 guys. I mean, like it's, it's a lot of it has to do with just the guy that has the tenacity to stay with it and not be defeated because he didn't, you know, didn't make the tour the first three attempts. I, I don't know what the average is now, but the last time I looked it up was a few years ago. The the average age of a PGA Tour rookie was 32 years old. Holy smokes, really? So think about what think yeah, about that. So you hear about, you know, Sergio Garcia, I think was 20 when he was on the tour. You hear about the Tiger Woods sure. at 21. You hear about all these phenoms yeah. that come right out of college and just are special. Yeah. But then you don't you don't hear about the guy that was played on the mini tours or played on this or played grinded his way out. And he's 34. And, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think the average age has gone down just a little bit. I think it's at 29, 28. Yeah. That's still a That's lot still older than what, what your perception would be. Yeah. Normally you think right out of college, come out there and just kill it. But that's a long road. Those, those guys that do that are actually really special, huh. special guys. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Nathan, we could probably stay here and talk all day. <laughs> It's been fun. Yeah. Oh, it's, been cool. it's, been, it's been longer than I thought. <laughs> it just kind of gets the runs. I, I, I like it. I like that it, you know, there's so much stuff to, you know, to yeah. visit about on that. And it is. I don't think any of my students would be surprised that we talked. <laughs> None of mine would either. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's all good. Dude, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for coming yeah, out, man. Thanks for having me. On. I, I love learning about different, you know, different sports, period. Yeah. You know, just different ways to be able to do things and, and knowing how people get there. But I love also, you know, being able to educate 
you know, other people and parents about the process of competition, success, success is something that is, you know, individual. I mean, really is right. And, and it's something that we build upon in other things and quick success is so, so not worth it. So really, it's, it's really so is. fleeting and it comes with a lot of failure afterwards. The slow road to good success builds success in all other areas of life. It really is. It, it, and when you sit back and look at what either you accomplished or what your students have accomplished, like the sense of joy you get from that yeah. to me is, it's, it's really incredible. It really is. It so, really is. I love, you know, I love being getting to the point in the age where we're starting to see things that, you know, how they're starting to build upon and you start to see them. I'm getting to see some of my kids that, you know, came through and how they're being resilient through college and how they're, you know, how they're, it's carrying on to other parts of their lives and stuff like that. And they're finding the joy, they're finding joy outside of work and doing some of the still competing with the horses and they're seeing it, you know, you've seen them grow in their lives. I just think it's cool. I, I hope more than anything that if they get to pass it on, use those same things on their kids and, you know, do, make it a generational impact. Impact, I like that. Yeah, because, you know, deep down, when it, at least when it comes to juniors, I, actually, you know, I can't even say that. Like, I've had adults say that, you know, the things I taught them in golf helped them with the passing of a relative, like just yeah. you know, picking it up every day. Um, but, yeah, if you can help, what, what a feeling it is to help develop somebody be a better person, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, I know that's what parents do. I'm not a parent, but the fact that I have, I mean, you can borrow custody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say I have about 50 kids actually, but the fact that I have, you know, a little bit of a say or an influence yeah. on some of the kids and like, I've, I've received some really nice letters from kids uh, saying thank you. Yeah. And, you know, in college now and, or just graduating high school, and and it's a it's, it's a nice feeling because sometimes you wonder, yeah, <laughs> am I getting through to them? And for them to respond and yeah. you know say something helped them that we went over and we talked about, and they just reach out and say thank you. It's a it's a, it's a big it's a nice feeling. It is. I I think you know this thing is one of the big reasons why I like doing this podcast. Right, is because um, uh, there's two things. One, I want my kids to. Well, my kids are young right now, and. And these conversations that we have, like I'd love for them to be able to sit and listen to it, but they have a hard time sitting still 15 minutes to listen to me talk about anything, right? Mm -hmm. And so these will be here forever, right? And, and you know, the my son, you know, it goes, you know, I, get, I remember that guy, Nathan, mm -hmm. at, at jujitsu, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, hey, you know, later on, whenever he's, who knows, man, whenever he's 30 years old and he's, you know, struggling in a marriage or whatever, like he can come back and listen to these things and have, you know, some perspective on life that I could have talked to him about or that I had the opportunity to talk to him about yeah. that he can comprehend it later on. Yeah. You know, one of the, the cool things was, um, so I lost my father in 2013 yeah. and during COVID. That's actually when I started jujitsu and why I started jujitsu, but it was a big reason as to why I started. But during COVID, I went upstairs into the attic and I was found a, a uh, an old camcorder basically that I won as in a college in a in a golf tournament, not a college tournament, just a golf tournament. And I thought, hey, I wonder if this thing still works. And I pressed play, and my dad's voice was on it, and I was like in tears. And it was just really cool to hear it. So, 
Like there was yeah. a day when, yeah, you know, they're going to be able to come back and listen to you talk and laugh. I know. And hear your ideas on life. Yeah. It's a really cool thing. Yeah. I had um, a couple episodes that I did um, and I still have a few more that I want to do and I will do quite a few, I guess, but on, um, I call them the Todd father episodes. <laughs> and, That's cool. and it's, um, it's things that I want them to know, right? I did one on marriage, you know, and what is what does it mean to be married? What, what I, one of my favorite ones, the first one I did was on, on truth, you know, in this day and age, you know, there's got to be a foundation for truth. Yeah, it's, it's twisted. It is twisted, and it's important for them. And sports, sports, pull the truth out, you know. You can watch and like with your kids and whatever else, who won the tournament or who like, there's no bullshit on who won the tournament. Yeah. You got, we kept, we kept score yeah. Right? Yeah. and we know who won and yeah. it's there. And that's a part of life. Right. And there has to be a foundation of truth. If there's not, then everything's at a whim Yeah, and that's crap. It doesn't play out. It, and it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, um, and whatever little experiment society thinks it's doing right now is it's, it's going to fall on its face. Yeah. Like that. And we all know it too. This is the silliest part about it. But, um, but I want them, you know, now is like a, you know, my daughter's 11. She doesn't listen to anything, you know, but I hope someday they get to listen to them and, and know what truth is and know what, where they found their value and those kind of things. Like they're, you know, and, and, you know, right now they don't want to sit down and listen to it. No, but you know, it'd be cool. I'm telling you, like I ran, I ran down the stairs and, Listen, look at this. And then, then we had a golf swing of his on there. And it was it was just really cool. And this was when I was, geez, I must have been 22 at the time. So he was, oh, wow. you know, and it was just really cool to find that. So to have these podcasts and hear mm-hmm. your ideas and the people you've had on it, that's a really cool, really cool thing that you're gifting them yeah. in the future. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty cool. I think it's something that, if anything, just to hear, you know, different guys that, you know, you thought, or you just thought, you know, we're just doing things and we were all, you know, wrestling around every, you know, a couple of days, but there are a lot of these guys are thinkers, man, that, you know, that they make an impact and all the, all the things that, that we talk about. And, you know, they think I'm silly for sitting around wanting to hang out after class for, but these are the things that we talk about. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you know, just to bring it back to golf and jujitsu for me anyways, it's like golf is probably the hardest thing I've ever engaged in as far as like a sport yeah. as far as from the mental side of it yeah i think you're that. things you're trying to control um in baseball i mean i love ba- i love sports but baseball you can play a certain position and never have the ball hit to you the whole game right yeah um whereas in golf you're it's always you even in jujitsu like sometimes the other guy's just going to be better than you or like they can control you they can hold you and, and uh so I think it's an incredibly hard sport. And then jujitsu, I would say, teaches you a level of uncomfortableness. That is. So in golf, you can still hide from the uncomfortableness. You can make up, oh, well, you know, yeah, it was too windy. The greens didn't, you know, what this and that. But, you know, when you have a dude that's smashing you. And you can't breathe. And you can't breathe. You're uncomfortable. You know, or yeah, a knee on belly or something. And it's, I always I reflect upon it at times. I'm like, you know, the two things I love doing most are the two hardest things that I do. Dude, I you think know? that says something about every guy that's willing to embrace difficulties. Yeah, it's, just, it's just a different cut and different type, you know, and 
it and it and not that it's the only one that matters it's just it's a different that you got to observe it and go like there's something different about it there's a desire to to grow and push yourself more and yeah. in, in that in that area that um and it's in a thinking way like it's so different and and you know in jujitsu it is definitely people think it's just rolling around or being rough or all that but and and there's an element of that yeah there is there absolutely is an element but when you can add the thinking part of it to the roughness you're a tough guy to yeah to handle right yeah so hard to kill <laughs> well thank you for having me over here. you this bet is, this has a good time thanks nathan you got it